the ABC's word wizard, the Lord of Language. A word in your ear with Professor Raleigh Sussex. That's one of the nicest introductions we have in the entire building, Rolly. Well done. I feel flattered by it every time I hear. (laughs) Welcome to the show, Rolly Sussex, OAM no less, Emeritus Professor uh, from the School of Languages and Cultures at the University of Queensland. OAM, Order of Australia, is that what that Mm, is? Medal of. Medal of Australia. When did you get that? Uh, 2012. Okay. And uh, since then, I've, I've been favoured by the French government as well. I'm a Chevalier des Palmes Académiques, which is a knight of the academic palms. Wow. Ah. You may end up Sir Rowley one day. I don't think so. You might. I doubt. Who says? Me. You're not in charge. <laughs> I'm Rowley. <laughs> Rob, get me the Queen on the phone. <laughs> I'm going to sort this out for you, Rowley. <laughs> um, wow, I, that's just very cool. Anyway, uh, we're talking today about uh, political jargon we've probably seen the various candidates canvassing for votes and running around and it's the the race is on the game has started and yes and we're into it i've got a whole lot of of political terms actually things like bellwether seat yes which is interesting bellwether's in yes Uh, this is a bellwether with an with no a in it it's not 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 rain and and so on it's w-e-t-h-e-r to do with a a sheep or a lamb yes. yes it's a castrated male lamb Oh. And uh, that make you feel better? And, well, it turns out I'm a... Well, I'm, I'm <laughs> no, right. sort of a... We anyway, won't, we won't go there. <laughs> Let's please don't. A, a weather, the, the, in the olden days, the, the shepherds used to put a bell around the neck of a, a, a particularly useful good sheep and it would kind of guide the others. It would be the leading one. And so the bell weather was the weather with a bell on its neck. Right. And so it became the one which showed the others where to go sort of thing. Yeah. And in Australia, there's a, I think it's Eden Monero is the bellwether seat. It's the one which, if Eden Monero goes one to one party, that party is likely to gain government. To go with it. The, the yeah. original bellwethers, they just, did they take the other sheep and get them to walk their way around manure or were they just straight through the middle? I think? think it just went straight ahead, whatever. Okay. And it saved the shepherd quite a lot of trouble. Yes. Okay, because you had a bellwether and you knew where the, where the, where the weather was because of the bell. Yes. Oh. Okay. So Eden Monaro is a bellwether seat. Okay, that's a very... Yes, I have heard that term before. Mm-hmm. That's what it means. Yeah. Good hope. The Americans have had a lot to do with these things too. Um, for example, a swing state or a swing voter. Yeah. That's an Americanism. Uh, it's also called a battleground state, by the way. Ah, yes. Uh, and that means that either, either party of the major ones could win depending on how the campaign goes and what the voters do. Um, and dog whistling is also American. But we've adopted that, haven't we? We have, yes. Yeah, we, we adopt lots of things from the Americans. Uh, dog, dog whistling is when you give a subtle message which will be understood by the people you're really trying to reach and who know what to listen for. So law and order, uh, when it's used by politicians, particularly on the right in America, tends to refer to people in lower income groups. You know, those are the ones we're going to target sort of things. Um, tough on crime, again, is referring to particularly Latino people and so on. It, okay. it, it's a kind of covert racist a, message. Yes. And if it was said by someone like Barack Obama or Joe Biden, uh, I think it would be taken at face value. Mm-hmm. But in the, mouths of, in the mouths of certain politicians of certain persuasions, yes. it's understood to be dog whistling. And, of course, dogs can hear frequencies much higher than you and I can. Mm. 
mm. and you can hear higher than I can because I'm younger. You're younger than I am. The older you get, the more you lose high frequencies. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now, uh, if you've just joined us, Mike Van Acker is my name. It's ABC Radio Brisbane and Queensland. And my guest in studio today is Rolly Sussex, Emeritus Professor from the School of Languages and Cultures at the University of Queensland. And he's willing and able to answer your questions about words, languages, and linguistics. If you've got one, one three hundred triple two six twelve, or you can text on zero four six seven nine double two six twelve. For now, though, uh, Rowley is holding forth on the topic of uh, well, the political buzzwords and bywords and jargon that we're going to hear for the next thirty-one excruciating days. <laughs> it's thirty-one, is it? Oh, I heard. I heard this morning that um, yes, the incumbent politicians have at least thirty-one days in office. At least. Mm-hmm. And perhaps they'll get to stay. Who knows? Well, I, I had two, two interesting ideas. One is that we restrict any campaign to 14 days. Mm. And for the last three days, you do what the French do, which is they have a complete blanket on any public statements by candidates. So three days before the election, the public can sit down and think, which one do I want to vote yeah. for? We had a media blackout at one point, but I think that, um, and that might even still stand, but it doesn't stop online advertising. No, and so, that's where you can't stop it. No, and the no, other no. thing was, why don't we limit political donations to $5 for a cup of coffee? Mm. That would simplify many things. It would and it wouldn't, because if you have... Interesting, maybe it's a chat for another time, Rolly, but it oh. seems to me that if you have, if you limit a party's ability to fundraise, it means you are then kind of assuming they're all going to get an equal run from the media. Which is an assumption that may or may not, depending on which medium you're looking at. Yes. Yeah, so that, 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 that it's, it's a simplification, but it was just fun. It, it is a fun idea, yeah. Yeah, yeah can you imagine? And, then, and that in turn would mean very rich people not mentioning anyone specifically, could afford to, if they're not getting the money donated, but they have their own money. They've got it in the back pocket so they can they afford could to spend, spend it. spend it like crazy. Not that anyone would do that. Who would spend millions would, of their own? Yeah. Who would do that? But but the smaller <laughs> parties or, or in, independents, they would be in trouble, and that's a bad idea. Yeah, okay, I do understand. Ray from Mackay has given us a call and has a political jargon question for you, Rolly. Mm-hmm. How are you, Ray? Oh, good, thanks, Mike. And Rolly, yeah, I've got a double bunger. Why is it called the Hustings and what's Centre Coventry mean? All right. Um, Centre Coventry is an old British saying and when when you send someone to Coventry, you refu- refuse to talk to them and often you organise with your friends not to talk to them either. So if they've done something really bad or they've been disloyal to your group or friends or they've said something that's offended one of your mates, uh, you organise so that they will simply be sent, you know, out there, no one will talk to them or communicate, and they should feel really bad. Do you know where the origin of that is? No, I don't. It's, it's, it's a lot of these British sayings, you look them up and it says, orig uncert, okay. which means that particularly with, with individual words, you can often work out how they got into English. Mm. But with sayings and things, until someone thinks to write them down, yes. we've actually got no evidence at all. I wonder if Coventry's got something particularly appalling about it. I mean, it was bombed to hell in the war. Right. And they had they, the cathedral was bombed, so they had to make a new one. Oh. Um, that's, but that's much, much later. Mm. I'll have a look for the original Coventry. Okay. Hustings, Hustings, Old Norse. Now, remember, English is a Germanic language, and it was brought to England in the 5th century by the Angles and Saxons and Jutes. And those people spoke dialects of Germanic. And an old version of Norse uh, was very important because the, the Vikings actually controlled the northeast of England. 
and uh, it was Harold, no, sorry, um, uh, King Alfred controlled the rest, but the North had, had Northeast, and they left things like place names in BY, like Spilsby in Lincolnshire. That's always North. But husting was um, the word for a, an assembly or a parliament originally, okay. okay? And then in around about the 18th century, it was applied to a platform in the city of London where the Lord Mayor and the Alderman would preside. And then it came to mean a temporary platform that you could stand on to talk. I'm on the hustings. And now we are, we're getting to the modern hustings where it means you, you may not have a platform to stand on, either physical or in terms of political belief, but you get out there and you talk. You are, you are on the stump, as they say. There's another one. Yeah. And the stump gave you a little bit of elevation mm. so that you could stand up and people could see you and you could talk to them. Does that answer your question, Ray? It certainly does. Thank you. Well, finally, after all this time, I know what they both mean. I yeah. appreciate that call. I've got a, a, a question too, and they talk about a comedian, oh, a comedian, a politician. There's a, there's a Freudian <laughs> there slip. There is a slip for yeah, you. Yeah, when you say one thing, but you mean a mother. Oh. Um, <laughs> What, um, do they just call them a doorstop when a politician gets out of a car or is about yeah. to walk into a building? Is it as simple as it appears? That it's as simple as that. And they've been stopped at the door? And it used to be a whistle stop. And that ah. was because they went around in trains, okay, very often at the back of the last carriage. And the train for the, you know, which was taking about the, the campaign around, would stop in various little country towns and there'd be a whistle and that would be a whistle stop and the politician would get out. There's a little platform at the back of the carriages in those days, remember? Mm. And so they, they'd address the, yes. the assembled multitudes from there. And then they go on to the next one. And okay. so whistle stops and door stops. It would be more fun if we made them pedal around on tiny little tricycles or show up on a caravan of dromedaries. That'd be fun too. Mm. Uh, we've got a, a text here from Charles in Townsville. And Charles asks, why is Labour spelt L-A-B-O-R ah. in the context of politics? Um, and I think that's how the Americans spell labour to work, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Americans, the O-U-R is always O-R, and it was fixed by Webster in his Dictionary of American English in 1828. So colour is O-R over there, and uh, valour is O-R and so on. That's an American pattern. In Britain and in New Zealand, the Labour Party is O-U-R, and in Australia it's O-R. Mm. And that's because the founders of the Labour Party were talking to the Wobblies, and the Wobblies were the international workers of the world, and it was an, an international American labour organisation around about 1906. And they seemed to have picked up the American spelling and no one spotted it. And really? so the it's o as that. spelling has persisted in Australia ever since, and it's the only word of those O-U-R ones, which yeah. is spelled O-R in Australia. And it's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. It was a typo. Uh, oh, it, it was a kind. It wasn't even a conspiracy. It was just people working together, and and oh, you know, that's the way we've seen it spelt. So we're going to use that. Okay. And and it became ingrained, and I don't think you could change it now. No, you wouldn't change it now. But it's interesting that there there would have been a point where they could quite easily mm. have rectified that. Oh yes. And but but we say he laboured for three days, and yeah. that's how you are. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. he's a member I, of the Labour Party. I hour. thought they'd done it on purpose uh, to distinguish it from the word meaning. Even though no. it, it has a blue collar no. beginning. Got a couple of texting questions coming in and uh, some non-political ones, if you're okay to take those, Rolly. Of course. But let's deal with Peter at Wellington Point, one of the most beautiful corners of this uh, southeast Queensland region. It is. Why is it ballot paper 
and not voting paper, Peter at Wellington Point asks. Okay, ballot comes from Italian, and we've, we've taken voting things from all over the place. Ballotta, sorry, balla is Italian word for a ball, and ballotta is the diminutive, it means a little ball. Okay. And the way they used to vote was you'd get coloured stones and you'd put your stone in a vase and the colour would be the person you wanted to vote for. Okay. And then they'd get all the stones out and count them up. Yep. And of which colour there was more, that person would be elected. And oddly enough, the Greeks had a similar thing. They voted with coloured stones. And the word for a, colored, a stone in Greek is psephos, P-S-E-P-H-O-S. And someone like Anthony Green, who's our ABC specialist in analysis of elections, is a cephologist. A cephologist, yes. And that's because he is a specialist in counting the stones and working out which way they're going to fall. Right. In, in I knew terms. cephologist meant that. I didn't right. realise it's, it's, it's a So ballot and, and cephology are both related and they mean stones. I love it. Yeah. Now, we've got a couple of non-political questions, um, if you're okay with that, sure. Rolly. Yeah. Julie from Mount Garnet. Hello. Uh, afternoon, Mike and Rolly. Hello there. Okay. What I need to know is I always call the food pasties, yes. but people call them pasties and there's no R in it. <laughs> okay. Um, What's correct? Okay, both. Um, it depends where you come from. And if you come from South Australia, they're certainly pasties because they say Alexander and dance and so on in South Australia. Although that's actually waning. The rest of Australia, except for people with very careful educated English, will say pasty. Uh, but both are understood, both are said, both are respected. And there, in fact, there was a big deal about the R at vowel in, in 19th century English. And at that stage, the at vowel was the educated one and the R vowel was thought to be provincial. And the British uh, middle classes would hire tutors from Oxford and Cambridge to come and live in the house and teach their children to speak properly. What happened with the at and the R was that they flipped around the other way. So that R is now educated British English and what you get in Oxford, Cambridge and the educated bits of southeastern Britain. But everywhere else, it tends to be A. So Newcastle rather than Newcastle. Okay. And of course, Passy comes from patisserie and so on, which in French is an A, certainly. And uh, that's the way, where we, got, where we got the word from originally. But we've, we've anglicized the pronunciation. It's a really messy story. Right, so pasty is the correct way then. Uh, <laughs> I don't think that's what Rolly on, said, Julie. Depending on who you're talking to. <laughs> so I'm uh, going to lose the argument when I'm in the shop. <laughs> oh, no. no, 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 because Rolly said either is fine. Either is fine. Right. Uh, certainly the at one is far more common in Australia and a lot of people will think pasty. You're putting on airs a bit. Right. What do okay. You, what do you, you normally say, Julie? How do you say it? Pasty. Pasty. Pasty will do. That is definitely the majority one in Australia. Yep. And say hi to Mount Garnet. I've ridden bikes through there on, uh, on, on, on various charity rides in North Queensland. Oh, well, you would have done with the school of distance and gone past my house. So there you go. There you go, yeah. You should have popped in for a pasty. <laughs> you should have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Jules. Okay, thank you. Talk to you soon. That's Cole, and Cole from Caloundra on the phone. G'day, Cole. Yeah, g'day, how are you going? Very well. You've got a non-political themed question as well. Yes. Go yes, ahead. Uh, g'day, Rolly. Yeah, um, I, was watching a, I was watching a 1947 English film. Mm. I noticed in the background there was a billboard and it said to be shown, but it was spelled uh, S-H-E-W-N. 
Mm. Uh, can you put any light on that? Yep, it's an old spelling. Uh, I think part of the spelling in the 1611 Bible, the King James Bible, show is S-H-E-W. And uh, it's only fairly recently, I think probably after Johnson's Dictionary in 1755, um, that we got the S-H-O-W as the standard pronunciation. So shown, S-H-E-W-N, is still seen and in some dialectal and older text, but standard English is O-W. Okay, thank Thanks you, for reminding Rod. us. Yeah. Good call, Cole. Thank you very much. Now, I've got got a weird political one for you. Oh, go ahead. Do you know where caucus comes from? Caucus. Okay, now I look at that word C-A-U-C, I think U-S. That feels like it should have a possibly a Greek or a Latin Mm. derivation to it. Um, Probably means some sort of inner sanctum or group. I'm working backwards trying to reverse engineer it so I sound knowledgeable. It's just hard talking to you, Roll. You're not looking like an idiot. I'm just doing my best to keep up here. You don't. This is the sort of of, of story that you'd try to work out when you meet a meet a, an, un, an, no, an un, unfamiliar word. In fact, it comes from a North American language called Algonquian. And I think, think you're making stuff up now, Kau Kau Asu is a an advisor in this language. Right, Kau Kau Asu. Kau Kau Asu. Kau Kau Asu. That, that's almost certainly the correct uh, the correct origin of it. And then we get it to mean not just an advisor, but a group of advisors. Right, and then we've got a verb as well. You can caucus, mm. meaning everybody gets together and has a serious has discussion about policy. So that's, there are some there are odd things around gerrymanders. Fun. Mm. Now there have been gerrymanders in Queensland uh, where one vote did not have the same value depending on where you were living. Mm. There was a big one in South Australia with Sir Thomas Playford, but it was invented by Governor Jerry G E I of Massachusetts in eighteen eleven. And he decided that he was going to tinker with the boundaries of the electoral areas in Massachusetts to favour his party. And by the time he'd fin- finished tinkering, the shape that he ended up with looked a bit like a salamander. And his name was Jerry. So they put Jerry and Manda together. And a gerrymander ever since has been the result of tinkering with the with, uh, boundaries of electoral areas to your, for, own, for your the, own advantage, yes. Yeah, for the incumbent's advantage. I find myself thinking, Roly, if it was anyone but you telling me this, I'd no. just assume they were making it up. Like it sounds you, like if, a leg pull, If it? you met a guy at a party yeah. and he went, did you know the uh, derivation of gerrymander? Yeah. And they said, see, the thing is, when he tinkered with the boundaries, it looked a bit like it. Everyone goes, oh, come on, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid but, it's true. But because it's you, we go, oh, okay, that's that's cool. Here's Roll a weird, on. another weird one. Do you know why, why we have the left and the right of politics? Oh. Oh, something to do with where they sat in the House of Parliament, I'm guessing. You are right, except for the last little bit. Where they sat in the pub. In where they no, sat you've in got the, the wrong parliament. Ah. That's all right. Other than that, your instincts are terrific. Um, in the French Parliament, before the, uh, the, the early French Parliaments, at the time of the Revolution, about 17, in 1790, the Royalists sat to the right of the Speaker and the people against the Crown sat to the left of the Speaker. And so that's where you, and that tradition is is still preserved in the American Congress, where the Conservative Party sit to the right of the Speaker and the the non-Conservative ones to the left. But in the Westminster system, the government sits to the right of the Speaker and the opposition to the left, and that's the one we've taken on. Yeah, okay. Okay. I do wonder about that sometimes. It does seem to switch over a little bit depending on... Depending on where you are. Depending on what country's politics you're observing, yeah. There is a pregnant pause. There is. We've got some more. Preferencing, of course, is Australian. 
bipartisan is an odd one, just meaning bi is two and party is side. Or So bipartisan is something which gets the support of both, both parties. Um, pork barrelling. Yes, okay. Uh, in before the, while, while slavery was still going in America, they used to have pork in large barrels and would hand it out to the slaves. And then that tradition was taken over by politicians who were going around trying to persuade people to vote for them and they'd, they'd have a pork barrel and they might actually hand out some from the barrel as a kind of bribe on the spot. Mm. And so pork barrelling is handing out benefits to people you are trying to persuade to vote your side rather than the other side. And when they talk about, about certain grants being made to certain electorates and whether the electorates favour one side or the other, um, the other side will say, oh, that's only pork barrelling. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I remember not that long ago someone said all sides of politics do it. No, well, no uh, point in pretending we don't. It's just no a fact. Yeah. What about a hung parliament? Hung parliament. Yeah. Great. A Tell hung parliament is when neither side has a clear majority. And so you may need to do deals with the small parties or the independents in the middle. Now, you can also have a hung jury. Jury, I was about to ask you about yeah. that. Yeah. And it's American again. And in America, it, it's 17th century, so this is pretty soon after they were settled in 1620. Um, y- someone who was on a jury and was refusing to vote along with the rest uh, and therefore was holding up a decision, well, you could hang the jury. And it didn't mean you strung them up uh, no, for execution. It simply mm. meant you, you stopped the jury in its tracks. It couldn't come to a clear decision, and that was had to be reported to the judge. And from that, you get a hung jury, meaning one which is unable to come to a decision, from which, with another little jump, you get a hung parliament, which is one which is unable to form a majority. majority. And so the leaders will suddenly go off and do, try and do deals with minor parties, which this time they're saying they're not doing it. Lame duck. The, ah, yes, yes, lame duck president. American again. Yes. Yep. A lame duck is when the, you are still president and the election has happened and the new president has been determined, and you're a bit like in the, uh, the caretaker mode that our government goes into after an election has been called. Um, I went looking the other day on the web for... I'm doing a project on the words that people have used during COVID to try and give guidance about what's, what we should be doing. A lot of these websites have been taken down for the duration of the campaign because they're coming from a particular political point of view or can be seen to be. Okay. Which mucked up my research no end. It must. And a, a lame duck president is the person who is serving out the last days of their presidency while we wait for the inauguration of the next one. It's sort of a little bit different here because a lame duck president has no possibility of retaining office. They've, been, they've done their two terms they've, they've or they're two one, terms. and they're going, whereas yeah. here yeah. a government goes in a caretaker mode and there's every possibility mm-hmm. that they will be voted back in and, yeah. and able to yeah. continue. But in, so, in, in China, say, or in Russia, uh, the president, if he has sufficient ability at making a political machine function, uh, can get themselves voted um, no president for life or for a large number of terms beyond mm. a statutory two. Mm. Vladimir Putin style. Yes. I think yes. he changed the rules so he can be president till 2036, I want to say. Uh, I think that's right, actually, mm. by which time he will be quite some venerable age. Mm. Um, but, you know, we've got all sorts of other political words to talk about, particularly the ones where people are appearing to say wise things and actually have rather little to say. Lobby. Yep. Lobby. 
this, the, the Brits gave us this one. Uh, in the 17th century, roughly, if you wanted to try and buttonhole a member of parliament and persuade them to do something or introduce an issue that you wanted to bring to their attention, you waited in the lobby in outside the, lobby. the house. And so, you know, from that place you get a new verb to lobby someone and all of the rules which are being proposed to try and limit people. It's a large atrium outside the House of Commons in London. Ah, okay. And, and uh, no, th these, are, these are rather nice. Spin, um, to give something a spin, well, you know, you're spinning things one way or spinning it the other way. Yep. And that's to give it a certain slant in yes. terms of interpretation. Um, the slate of candidates, they used to have a real slate. Okay, that they wrote the names on. And they on. wrote the names on, yeah. Simple as that. Um, and a witch hunt. Oh, this is nasty. Uh, this goes back to America again, particularly in Salem, Massachusetts in the 17th century, where they, you know, ordinary citizens would go out after witches and they'd burn them or drown them in the village pond if they were thought to be guilty of witchcraft. Yes. It was, it was, uh, uh, and, you know, there's the play by Arthur Miller. Yes, uh, The Crucible. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that, that politics has got quite a lot of, of uh, things in the closet, but also some quite intriguing ones. I like whistle stop, you know, that the, uh, no, the, the, the train comes into town and the, there is the, the politician doesn't even get off the train. No, no, right? no. They just stand on the platform at the rear of the train yeah. and, and give a little, little, uh, a little talk, um, maybe hand out some pork barrel goodies <laughs> or yes. whatever. Hope the people turn up. Hope the people turn up and then boop, boop, and on we go again. Oh, okay, now my guest has been Rolly Sussex, OAM Emeritus Professor from the School of Languages and Cultures at the University of Queensland. Rolly, do you have a last word for us today? This one comes from Charles Schultz, who is a great philosopher. Don't worry about the world coming to an end today. It's already tomorrow in Australia. <laughs> is that the Charles Schultz? That's the Charles the Schultz. The one that... Yes. Not the one that wrote Peanuts. I think it's the Peanuts one. <laughs> Excellent. My pleasure. Excellent. Thank you, Rolly. Thank you, Mike. On your radio and online. At home or on the road. This is ABC Radio.